2: What's up, y'all? This is Eric here. And before we get into today's episode, I just want to give you a quick notice. Today, we're going to be talking about a book, Britt Bennett's The Mothers. But there are light spoilers. If you are a person who doesn't like spoilers, maybe you read the book first and then come back and listen to this episode. But here's the show. Eric, and I'm Brittany, and we are
3: for colored nerds. The conversations that Black people have when white people are not in the room, but we record them and we put them on the internet. I wish that rhymed. it rhymed. Doesn't rhyme. We should.
2: We should have it rhyme. I want to like say in like a good Jesse Jackson voice.
3: As soon as you were like, suggested that, I was like, "We should abandon this idea. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good idea. We, we can
2: rewrite do. it. I mean, we also maybe should rethink that just because I mean, we had, we just recently had a white person on
3: one, side. but he was uh, as I said in the previous episode, he was accompanied. Yeah. So the slot, <laughs> the race to become the first unaccompanied white guest on it's so hard for me not to say America's Next Top Model but on for co- <laughs> <laughs> but on for colored nerds still yeah. open still I open
2: I think it's gonna take a while
3: I mean this shit is like the Hunger Games we gotta I, line out the door just yeah. kidding no white person has actually asked to be on the show <laughs> except for one of my childhood best friends
2: I feel like the only person who could probably make the cut is like John Brown <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's about it
2: but uh so yeah um uh, let's get to the good stuff man yeah all right, so we have a special guest here today. Yeah, yeah. Really excited. Woo! Yeah. <laughs>
3: we, y'all haven't even heard the name yet. Yeah, I know, right?
2: Exactly. That's how, that's how fire, that's how fire this guest is. So, would you like to introduce
3: our guest? Yes. Um, so, today's guest wrote one of the books that actually Eric suggested uh, as, like, his, like, keeping me sane this summer yes. reads um, a couple episodes ago. We have in the studio today, literally, um, I was like thunder from down under. That's Australia. So you're just from like (laughs) Southern California. Um, We have in the studio today, the author of The Mothers coming out this October. Yes. Like, which is probably this month that we're in currently. Right now. Right right now. um, 2016 from Riverhead Books, The Mothers in the studio. We have Britt Bennett. If you do not know who this woman is now... You will know very soon. We'll know soon, yeah. And you will know for a long time. Welcome, welcome.
4: Thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: so I mean, we 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 got a lot to talk about. We actually. have a lot to talk about. We, as Brittany mentioned, uh, so we both read this book this summer. Uh huh. And we both were like, we both we both sat there after and was like, "Have you finished?"
3: <laughs> and it's like you know,
2: Brittany's like, "Have you finished?"
3: Yeah. I mean, it took me like three days. Like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I I, I used to be a like a pretty voracious reader, and then like slowly, at, oh, like as I've had to just do more and more work, like I just can't even. Like, I look at a book and I'm like, <laughs> I like, just give up. I was so like, I literally I sleep with probably like five half finished books in my bed. I got the mothers on a when uh, on on a Monday, and by Wednesday night I was done. I was ready to talk to people about it. Yeah, I was like ready to start a book club. I needed like I needed like a group.
2: So actually, so full disclosure, I should point out, Carla actually passed me, passed us this book. Yes. Yes. Carla works for Riverhead, Um, but it was us who was begging her.
3: Yeah, we we were begging her forever. Yeah. Since we like, since I was maybe about, I don't know, probably a hundred some pages, I was like, I think she'd be a really good guest. (laughs) Uh,
2: But yeah, we're excited to have you here. So, first book. And you've been getting a lot of, like, there's been a lot of positive, positive things in the air, floating in the ether. (laughs) How does that feel? Like, what does it feel like to have so much, like, before the book has come out, to have, like, so much support and, like, positive things said about it?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, it's exciting. I never imagined any of this. I just was like okay, I just hope that one editor wants to buy the book. And that would be like my best case scenario at the time. So definitely never imagined any of this. But it's also like a little bit stressful, because I feel like whenever things are hyped, my natural inclination is to like resist them or to be like, it wasn't mm. that good. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, you know, I anticipate there probably be a lot of readers like that. So, so there's a way in which I do like feel a little bit of pressure because uh-huh. of the sort of hype swirling. But you know, like, what you were saying about enjoying reading it and actually talking to people who have read it and had, like, a good feeling of reading it and not just sort of, oh, well, people are talking about it, so I should check it out. Um, that sort of genuine reaction from readers has, like, comforted me and, and made me feel like um, this will this will all be okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> cool. I mean, I can sympathize with that. Anytime someone gives, like, pays me a compliment, I just, like, stare down at the floor. I'm like, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> like, this, I, I this, know. This, <laughs> that's not true.
3: Seen it in action. Nothing is
2: okay. <laughs> I'm terrible. So, like, this—you you had this idea fairly early, I understand. Like, it, you you started thinking through the book, at least, when you were 17. What does that look like?
4: I mean, I—so, I, so I had been, like, writing fiction since I was, like, real little. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, like, seven or eight, like, writing these stories, like, on the computer, printing it out in, like, blue font, and, like, you know, doing that whole thing when I'm, like, like a little kid. Um, but when I got to, like, high school, I was kind of like, oh, it'd be cool to write a novel. I wonder if I could do it. Like, could I sustain, like, this long project? Mm. So before this book, I'd, like, written this other really terrible novel that hopefully will never see the light of day. But it was just sort of one of these things just to see, like, if I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point where I started The Mothers or what eventually became The Mothers, I think it was sort of in that vein of just, like, oh, I have this idea about this church and this controversial thing that happens there. And thinking about these characters who are these, you know, teenagers who were kind of my age and how they would how they would react to this, this situation happening. Um, so it was something that I just kind of worked on while I was in school, and and, and um, I was able to work on it more seriously when I got to undergrad and eventually when I got to grad school.
3: That's, like, so amazing that you stuck with that idea. for. I mean, like, you talked about uh, could I sustain this, like, yeah. this long, long-term <laughs> yeah. project. That's, like, I mean,
4: that's, like, what, eight years yeah. or something like that? I mean, I, like, that's, like, honestly the thing that is most amazing to me now to think about, like, man, why didn't I quit on this project? book like i had you know like it it was so bad for so long and i was so young and thinking about a lot of other things at the time i worked on other things in between but for whatever reason i just kept coming back to this project and i'm really grateful looking back now that i that i stuck with it and i believed in it when i really had no reason to believe in it because like i said it was really bad um yeah
2: so we should probably tell people what the book is about (laughs)
4: oh
0: yeah, yeah,
2: yeah so to 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 kind of set up the mothers a little bit and you can tell me if i've done if i've done it just the story is set in this southern california beach town it's centered around uh nadia luke and aubrey three young people whose lives kind of intertwine throughout the years as they navigate young love secrets i'll add in betrayal
3: Mm. and
2: uh (laughs) growing up so even in that uh like synopsis if you will there's a lot of themes there. And there's a lot of themes in the book, like that like come around and intersect in these really, really uh like beautiful ways, to be frank. And those themes include like grief, friendship, love, growth, betrayal. When you started the book, what were the things that you kind of began with? And I think you kinda hinted at it a little, yeah. little bit before.
4: I think when I started the book, I was really interested in the friendship between Nadia and Aubrey and and the secret that Nadia harbors, um, you know, the fact that she, she gets pregnant by Luke and she decides to terminate the pregnancy. Um, so I think that's those are two of the pieces that were always kind of in the book that I was thinking about. I think as I got older and I kept working on it, um, some of those other themes expanded more and I became more interested in the church as a community and not just these teenagers at the center of it. Um, so I think that's something that kind of came about a little bit later um, from that initial interest.
2: I mean, you talked a bit about the about the church.
3: Well, like the church, the church is almost like uh, it's like the one of the main points of intersection for all three characters throughout the entire book. Like even like you know they they age what maybe six or seven mm-hmm. eight years throughout the like entire span of mm-hmm. the novel. Um, and despite like whether or not they move or get married, falling out of love, the church remains like this central point right. in the story. Why why is that?
4: Well I think I think one thing is like as a writer I'm always interested in ways that you can force people to be around each other. Uh-huh. I think that characters probably much like people in real life sort of want to get away. <laughs> they want to get away from each other and they want to get away from potential sources of conflict. So as as a, a writer you have to force people to sort of be in this space. And I I felt like that church was an effective way to do that of this is a place where all these characters are going to intertwine like you're saying. Um, that this, uh, it was just, I felt like it was a source of tension because of the secret that's sort of festering beneath the surface. Mm. And it was also just physically, like, a useful space to, like, force people to be around each other with some pretty, you know, high stakes, um, that the characters themselves are not even fully aware of.
2: And I'm just curious, like, did you, like, was that... Like was that something like that you could relate to from your from like from your own life? Did your life kind of I mean, obviously, I, I imagine your experiences probably don't mirror <laughs> right uh, them the characters in the book. But yeah, is that something that that you drew on from personal experience?
4: Yeah, I mean, I grew up going to church. Um, my parents are both pretty religious people, and my mom's Catholic actually, so we went to Catholic mass um, a lot when I was a kid. Um, and my dad's Protestant, so we went to his church also. His church was sort of the like Christmas, Easter sort of situation, and then we went to Mass like most of the other time. But I, you know, I grew up going to both of these churches. Um, and yeah, I think I, I always had a lot of ambivalence towards religion. Um, and it was, you know, it wasn't. I never really had much choice. Like, my parents were not the type of parents who, like, if you were like, I don't want to go to church this Sunday, they'd be like, oh, that's fine. Staying back. <laughs> like, I never, like, unless I was sick, like, I was at church. So, you know, I, I think I, I grew up having a lot of ambivalence towards that as a space and, and always kind of thinking about what my role was, particularly as a young person and particularly as a young woman, um, what my role would be in that type of space. It's
3: interesting then that you would like that you would place the story there. Because like I mean, obviously like we were talking about it. I'm like, okay, they're all kind of around the same age. You could have had those three characters interact at work, you could have had them interact at school, you know what I'm saying? Or in mm-hmm. like, you know, the area surrounding Naughty and Aubrey's high school. But like it's interesting that you were ambivalent about being in church and then you kinda like <laughs> and you place the characters right. in there.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, like, moving towards a space of my own ambivalence, I think that's part of it. I think also just the the, the church created this tension um, because of the fact, like, Nadia knows that her church would not approve if they knew about this abortion. The fact that Luke is the pastor's son, um, that causes this other sort of tension. She has to interact with his mother. That causes another tension. And also just this idea of, of morality and and sin and and. Um, absolution. I, I thought. I thought the church was a place that really brought a lot of those themes together and and created new sources of tension from existing conflicts.
2: No, totally. And I can. I mean, I can relate to that a lot. So I was kind of the the opposite. Like my family's like work schedules kind of prohibited us from going a lot. But and so like every like. Like one weekend out of the month, on we're like, well, we're gonna go to church. I was like, but we didn't go last last (laughs) week, and she was like, no, get in the car. And uh, but that said, like at church, it's surprising how much normal childhood or, like, growing up occurs in that space, like, completely outside of the sermon. You know? Right. Like, there's a lot of just, like, lingering around and, like, talking and talking about the same stuff that you talk about outside of church. Right. In the sanctuary. <laughs> right. You know? So, yeah, I can I can definitely kind of relate to that, especially because, like, I mean, there there isn't a lot of, like, is isn't any preaching, you know what right. I'm saying? Like, in yeah. church, it's, like, very much kind of the setting. to the things that happen outside yeah. of... Uh,
4: well, yeah, I think I also was, like, I'm always interested, like, yeah, what happens when, like, when the lights cut off? Like, when the sermon is over, what what does a church become? I, I, I've always been interested in that because you think, like, oh, like, the sermon is, like, the main event. And then, you know, after Sunday, it's like, what's the church like on a Wednesday? You know, like, <laughs> what are people doing, you know, 9 to 5? And I think also I'm interested in the people who you know, make churches run, which like 99% of the time are mostly women, mm-hmm. um, who often are not, you know, the people who are prominently displayed and are on the altar um, delivering sermons, but are the people who keep the lights on and, and and keep everything sort of running behind the scenes.
2: And so, I mean, one other kind of, like one other big uh, character and kind of uh, omniscient being in the, in the story, is, is the mothers themselves. Obviously, like, if you are black and you were raised in a church, like, the church mothers—
3: Baptist. I'm not Baptist. I was raised in the church, and I'm not Baptist. We didn't have mothers. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. All
2: right. Well— Yeah. You
3: keep saying I mean, that, I'm and Baptist. I'm like, I am not know—
2: <laughs> Like, I mean, for me, like, also in the South, like, I feel like everybody's Baptist. Like, I don't no, know. Like, I mean, maybe of your, I found out— Baptist, a... Kojic, or, or yeah, like, AME? S-
3: like, 60, 70% of black folks who are, like, Protestant— are Baptist. I only found this out recently. I wasn't raised Baptist. I was raised, I told you, some very, very small denomination. But yeah, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that like is, is like Kojic or Baptist and I'm like, who? (laughs) what like huh people are like you know it I'm like no I don't know
2: so I mean to explain so you have like the the mothers of the church so the deacons of the church you know often kind of function as the people who are guiding the church and uh, like taking care of a lot of the business but the mothers of the church are kind of these like revered figures they often sit like right in front you know those are the people who you associate with like the big hats like usually like they have like a million different white like suits you know like (laughs)
3: oh I've I've Seen it. We had older women who would sit like kind of in the front, but I've seen before when I had to go for when I used to work for the government, I used to have to go to Kojic churches all the time, which is difficult to explain. <laughs> but there were always women who were wearing kind of like I mean like floor length all white outfits, yeah. kind of yeah. seated up front.
2: Yeah, and they're I mean they're they're definitely like known like they I mean they sit they sit removed from you in this way that you know it seems like they're almost like carrying you yeah. know this like this knowledge like they just. Might as well just, like, stroll in, you know, (laughs) uh, as if they were in, like, a sorority. But they function in the book as, like, this almost, like, Greek chorus. By that, I mean, like, they carry a a lot of knowledge about kind of, like, what's happening and, like, uh, what's at the root of people's, like, motivations. Um, It's almost similar to kind of, like, how at the end of Lemonade, like, Beyonce was kind of relating to the women who had come before her, like, uh, Jaycee's grandmother, I think it it was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I thought was interesting is they kind of, they didn't always get it right. Like that, that seemed like an interesting choice, you know, like, (laughs) which I mean, one, like I would probably be scared to make, (laughs) even though I haven't been to church in like forever. But can you say more about, about that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I was interested in the gap between their perceptions and their thoughts and their opinions and what the reader sort of gets to experience through these characters. Uh, because, I mean, I think that's the nature, that's sort of the nature of gossip and that's the nature, you know, we all have opinions about people and we, we you know, we read into people's motivations, but we can never really know. Um, so I think that that was something I was interested in allowing us to see through the mothers, but also to see around them and see when they were missing things and when they were misunderstanding and misinterpreting. Um, so I think, you know, the book, it, it you know, it opens with this, ru- this false rumor that's very quickly disproven. Um, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, indicates to the reader that, you know, this is not completely to be trusted. There is a degree to which they are unreliable um, as the narrators of the story and as the um, the people who are sort of observing the lives of these younger characters.
3: A lot of the things that they kind of um, like sometimes they open sections of the story or sections of somebody's narrative. And um, I want to say maybe what they said were, or what they thought wasn't was italicized, I think. I can't remember. Who knows? But um, <laughs> but like you could see their thoughts sort of like written out, like the as if somebody would say them. And as I get older, I mean, I talk to my mother on the phone every single day. And as I get older, and I, I like, you know, my Saturn is returning. I'm t- I'm like almost twenty nine, and I'm I'm starting to like. I'm kind of like okay. Like I mean, I adore my mother, but sometimes I'm like okay. I've been doing this for a minute now. Yeah. <laughs> like I kind of know how some things work, but sometimes she'll still come out with a lot of these platitudes. Like I remember there was one section of the book um, where they're talking about, they're like, oh, that's what's wrong with color girls nowadays. <laughs> they don't know how to be soft. Like talking about how they can sort of like, you know, make their relationships work as well right. as possible. Like so much of that, reminds me of, like, certain conversations that I'll have with my mother where, like, I'm, like, p- like coming to, the like, full force with, like, <laughs> everything I have in me from 2016. Right. And my mother, you know, who's, like, married to her high school sweetheart, is sometimes coming with me from something from, like, 1974. <laughs> and it's just, like, I think she said to me one time, I said I was cooking— or something like that, and she was like, "That's good. You should." I, I don't say my boyfriend's name, but she was like, "You should." Uh, she's like, "You gotta make sure that you feed him, you know, so he can get up and work good, work hard, and make you some money." And I'm like, "Mom, I'm like, I have a good job. Like, I I can feed myself, right?" But so much. It's like I mean, but then there's still these moments where they have like where some of the things that they say aren't necessarily right, but they do feel kind of true. <laughs> And it's, like, so interesting to have that. It's like having, like, intergenerational, like, dialogue
4: right. within
3: the book without having those characters necessarily interact.
4: Right. It, w- it was fun to write those sections and sort of channel these older Black women that I know, um, the types of things that my mom has said to me or the types of things other Black women in my life have said to me. Um, and sort of, you know, having been on, like, the receiving end of these, like, platitudes and of these lectures to get to s- deliver some of them on my own was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I was always kind of interested in the way that I I wanted to, I wanted to humanize the mothers. I didn't want them to be dismissed as just sort of like this gossipy group of like old women always in people's business, um, which to some degree they are. But, you know, I think I was also interested in honoring the experience of these black women who came before me and, and who have struggled so much and, um, you know, and maybe have like these old fashioned views, or maybe these misguided opinions. But when you think about all the things that they've lived through and all the things that they've survived, you're kind of like, okay, you know, I kind of see where they're coming from. Mm.
2: Yeah. So, like, I think about the mothers and like how, and like their experiences, and even like how they talk, and like how information kind of flows through them. And I also think about like today, and if it, it, and like people today, and women today, and like how these institutions might be updated and. It's curious because, like, I feel like you really captured, like, I mean, you captured kind of the church of my childhood. I don't, I don't go that often right now, so I can't say <laughs> it's the church of my. Daughter. I was like, mm, uh, the
3: church of when? Yeah. yeah, yeah I was
2: about to say. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, I wonder how, like, I, I just, it makes me think about like how these things might evolve. You know, what I'm saying, like, I there's a lot better understanding of like how we might even through our traditions that we hold and revere yeah. you know that might be preserving uh things about our society that we might not
4: yeah yeah you know,
2: that we don't appreciate
4: yeah i mean i think you know particularly with gender you know there're still like a lot of churches now that will not allow women to like publicly speak or publicly be mm-hmm. active in in aspects of the service which is you know crazy for me to think about in 2016 that idea so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, historically the black church has been so c- instrumental to the community and so instrumental, but, you know, there are also all these, a lot of these sort of respectability, you know, aspects that are still sort of remnants, I think, that um, we, we're going to have to continue to grapple with going forward.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting, I mean, because, I mean, those, same, those things like manifest themselves kind of in the book, right. you know, it's a lot of like their reaction to, you know, kind of, um, like you said, like uh, like Nadia's abortion. Like, right. That's a, that's a significant moment where people are making making decisions and making like judgments right Um, and it's it's we see the characters evolve mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily like they evolve in their understanding in some ways mm-hmm. but some of those things are kind of like kind of the same right if that makes any sense right. I, maybe I'd... that was like
3: too vague <laughs> that well, was too vague <laughs> cause I'm sitting here like <laughs> what you <mean? laughs> but
2: well anyway all i'm saying is like they, they don't necessarily see the same amount of growth as the characters mm. and i just right. that just makes me you know think about that like i i like i think very much part of the reason why i don't like why i don't go to church as much is because like i don't necessarily know how to wrestle with those like i'm not gonna sit here and be like talk to some older man or woman and be like you know I just really think we're supporting gender norms in like a way that's <laughs> very unhealthy. They're, they're going to look at me and they're going to cuss yeah. me out, you know. Um, yeah, but I, like I feel like there has to be something, and maybe I'm so removed that I, you know, that I can't be that I'm not necessarily a part of that process.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think I constantly like I, I do still go to church, but I constantly grapple with like reconciling my politics with aspects of um, the church-going experience, which often can be very, um, you know, often those things are at odds. I don't know. I think the, th- the the abortion has sort of been interesting. I think it's going to be interesting once the book is out and I talk to more people about it. But I remember I had like a an older black man tell me like, yeah, like you know, I don't I don't know how this book is going to do. You know how you know how our community feels about abortion, and I was sort of like, uh, like you know, the idea of like the black community as like a monolith yeah. having this one opinion. I was kind of like, I'm I'm sure our community feels as fractured about abortion as any other community mm-hmm. does. Uh, But it was sort of this idea of like this, you know, I think that is like a stereotype of black culture being socially conservative in some of these ways. But it was something that he just sort of assumed that uh, that kind of caught me off guard, I think, because I know, you know, my politics and politics—a lot of younger Black people I know are all very, you know, diverse and contradictory mm-hmm. and everything. So it was never something I thought of as like, oh, the community is going to unite against this book because, <laughs> you know, it was never something I ever considered. So, but the fact that he held that opinion was to me that that felt like a very generational sort of divide.
2: It's, to- I mean, it totally is. It, it's interesting because I mean, you like in the book, like the abortion happens pretty, like pretty early, front, like, yes. like, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, all right, we in it, you know. <laughs> But I think, you know, honestly, I think you did a great job of, like, capturing how different people would respond to that event without Mm -hmm. necessarily, like, demon... It didn't seem like the the goal was was to demonize her in the eyes of the reader or even necessarily in the the book.
3: Right. Yeah, and she wasn't, like, haunted. It wasn't like this thing, like, I feel like a lot of times abortion... And also, too, you, you discuss themes of sexual violence against Aubrey. Usually those are used as, like, plot devices to, like cast a certain, like, to get, you know, have the audience cast a certain point of view, like you said, Eric, on a certain character. Or they're, like, used as, like, a means of, like you know setting off a certain series of events right they weren't necessarily like aubrey i felt like 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 your exploration of the sexual violence with her felt real and was well handled and also like nadia wasn't like it wasn't like she went throughout her entire life like you know local girl loses her shit and never (laughs) progresses forward (laughs) because she got an abortion you know what i mean like it was like they made they had these things happen to them or they had these choices to make and they, they made yeah. them, and they also went on with the living of their lives.
4: Yeah. Which is unusual. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think particularly with the abortion, like, I always knew I wanted to start there. I didn't want it to be like a, like, oh, she gets pregnant, and whatever will she do? And, you know, and I was like, she knows what she wants to do from jump. Like, it's not a really tough decision for her. So I, I knew I wanted to open there, and, and I was more interested in the aftermath of what happened after she made this decision. I'm actually surprised how, like— I mean, maybe I shouldn't be surprised because it is a a politically controversial issue, but how rarely fictional characters have abortions, um, particularly when it would make very, like, a lot of logical sense for them to do so, (laughs) like, for the sake of the story and and to be true to the character. Or, you know, they have the sort of, like, Juno moment where it's like, oh, I went to do it, but the baby has fingernails, so now I'm going to keep the baby. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, the idea of, of of you know, I think our culture is so reluctant to sort of explore that, I mean, which partly I think is just because it it's not narratively genera- generative in the way that pregnancy is. You know, abortion is sort of the end of a story, um, mm-hmm. not really the beginning of one necessarily. Um, but I wanted to see if I could make it the beginning of a story and, and see where I went with it.
2: I would just to even double down on that, like definitely in in black narratives too, like or or, or stories about like mostly black characters. Like it's tough for me to identify. Damn near any where <laughs> where like you know, like an abortion happens in that way, and people respond to it in a healthy way, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean,
3: yeah, I mean, I feel like even like I don't know, it's just like weird too, I feel like most of the narratives that I've seen about abortions that aren't like local girl loses her shit and like life never moves on after she has an abortion. they're like. You know, it's 1952. You must go (laughs) to a back alley. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, and like, the thing is, is that like lots of women of all ethnic backgrounds, like, Like, get yeah, abortions, like, yeah. in America, there are, even though there are, I mean, like, there are a lot of places where it isn't legal, but there are a lot of places where it is legal and, yeah. like, where abortion is, like, relatively easy to right. obtain. So it's, like, bizarre that, like, there's <laughs> never been a narrative where it's like, oh, pr- someone had an abortion and they continued.
4: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think that it was something that I, you know, it was a balancing act because, on one hand, it's like, in fiction, you know, choices that characters make, they have to have some type of weight, like, Characters don't just make arbitrary choices because why, yeah. you know? So if she'd never thought about the abortion again, then, mm-hmm. you know, it would have been a different story. It would have just been like some minor detail of the thing that she did. And and it would have been a very different story. It couldn't have driven the story forward if, if it didn't affect her in some way. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I also wanted to avoid, like you're saying, this idea of like it damages her and it ruins her and she never moves on from it. Um, you know, I think her her reaction is complex. And I think most people, most women's sort of um, reactions, I think, are a lot more complex than than those sort of dichotomies of like being very like flippant about it versus like being haunted by it forever. I, th- I think most people probably fall somewhere in between, and mm-hmm. and I and I wanted to explore kind of the messiness of, of that emotion. Cool.
2: So I think this is actually a good
0: spot to take a break. There are over seventy five million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France. Which means to be is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mère and mère somehow being different words. To be it's more popular than being French. See you in there.
1: Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack.
0: Pandora makes it easy for you to find your favorite music. Discover new artists and genres by selecting any song or album and we'll make you a personalized station for free. Download on the Apple App Store or Google Play and enjoy the soundtrack to your life.
2: Welcome back. I mean, another thing that I think the book kind of like centers and, and, you know, and it unfolds over these years is kind of this, the relationship of of Nadia and Aubrey. Mm -hmm. It felt like very much a real relationship. Part of me felt like it was kind of like lopsided in some areas, you know, which maybe isn't like it is which relates a lot to like who those people are. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a bit more about like how you crafted that relationship and like what like where that comes from?
4: Yeah. I mean, I th- I think of that relationship as the emotional center of the book. Mm-hmm. Um And I think, you know, I was interested in them as a sort of unlikely set of friends, like these two girls who are not really that much alike. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the beginning, Nadia thinks Aubrey is just like, you know, this like weird church girl (laughs) that she like (laughs) does not really want to talk to. And she, you know, but they bond together because they've both sort of been abandoned by their mothers in different ways. And that's something that that connects them and and helps sort of build a bridge across um, that huge gap between them and their personalities. Um, So I think I... I don't know I'm always interested in I'm interested in relationships between and among women for sure and and I think particularly I'm always interested in the intimacy of friendship um I think it's something that is often not explored as much um, as it could be. You know, often it's sort of like the romantic relationship is the real relationship, mm-hmm. and then the friendship is just like something that happens on the side. But you know, like particularly for myself, for like right now at this point in my life, it's like my friendships are like the most important thing. You know, and my friendships with other women are super important to me, um, and those have been some of the longest relationships in my life and like the most valuable relationships in my life. Um, so it was something that I wanted to to give real weight to and think about what these two girls would need from each other and, and what they could give to each other and what they would also ultimately take from each other.
3: I, I was telling Eric earlier, it reminded me of like Sula, like where you have like, you know, Sula and Nell, the sort of two main characters where Sula is kind of in line with Nadia, where people kind of think that she's like. I mean, this is such an old fashioned word, but kind of trampy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then Nell is like your classic, like everybody yeah. loves this, you know, good girl sort of like you know what I'm saying. Like everybody feels like you know they can like somebody that that a lot of people feel like they can get behind. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, and it's so interesting when you, you talk about like un like their unlikely friendship. They're like it's unlikely like when they're 17, but as they sort of like grow older, like you really see that they make the choice to be in each other's lives. Right, and like, I see like um. This is probably a spoiler, but there is a point where they have like like a friendship breakup. Right. And I was more devastated by their <laughs> friendship breakup than I was in any
4: romantic breakup yeah. that, you know, that happened over the course of the story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I was like originally this, the novel sort of took place in just that first summer where Nadia has the abortion and it was very um, contained to that moment where they're 17. Um, and I think as I got older, I became more interested in what. Their lives would look like as they got older, and particularly what that friendship would look like, because you know it's like your friendships. Ugh. I mean, it varies. Like some some of my friendships I've maintained since I was a teenager or beyond, and some people it's like I you know I haven't talked spoken to them in years. Um, some people like I brought with me from high school to college, and some people I brought with me from college to grad school, and you know and some people I didn't. Um, so you know I I became interested in how that relationship was going to change as they became women. Um, the things that they would admire about each other, the things that they would envy about each other, the things that um, they would want from each other. And, yeah, the way that that relationship would kind of change along with them. I also really like the way that, like, you characterize Nadia
3: and Aubrey. They were, like—I okay, like the thing that I think maybe that was the thing that struck me the most about the book was that, like, I felt like they were teenagers and they were, like— young black women and there were things happening in their lives, but they weren't like pathologized or or they weren't used as like a, like a mouthpiece for some other larger agenda, a story about somebody else. They were really smart and they were really like their lives were so emotionally rich. And I had never seen that before (laughs) really written like, like a contemporary, like I think there's one, there's one like YA novel that I may have mentioned in the last, like episode when we talked to um the uh, Brendan and Jason, like called Dancer by Laurie Hewitt, I think. Like that's came out in the nineties. That was like a YA novel.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Other than that, I had never really seen like teenage black girls like contemporary where there wasn't like it wasn't motivated by a major historical event. Wasn't I'm <laughs> serious, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like, you know, so and so fall in love. in the summer of 1967 (laughs) in Los Angeles. Like, it wasn't like that. You know what I mean? They, uh, like, there wasn't a major, like, motivating historical event. They weren't necessarily striving to get out of the hood right there wasn't like you know i mean god bless this book i fucking love the coldest winter ever but yeah. it wasn't <laughs> yeah. like,
4: classic classic classic.
3: Um, classic. classic but yeah i mean there wasn't like it wasn't like you know her father's a drug dealer right she, you know with the prison <laughs> house, she gonna survive like it was just like they're kind of dealing kind of like really big things but also really like mundane things
4: yeah you know like one of my uh like favorite new shows to watch now is atlanta and and i remember like watching one of the episodes where, like, Donald Glover's character is just, like, in bed, like, talking to his girlfriend or whatever. And I was just, like, this is just, like, black people just, like, having, like, a normal conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like you're saying, it's not, like, Selma. It's not, like, <laughs> you know, it's not, like, about politics. You know, it's not—and, and, you know, it's, like, no shade to those types of stories, those mm-hmm. types of books. But it was so refreshing. And Queen Sugar also, to some extent, like— it was so refreshing just to watch these books about just the mundane life of black people. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that was something that, you know, I, I, you know, I wrote this book based on the town where I grew up and, and some of, and like that, the personal experience of kind of growing up in that type of place, which I don't think is a place that's, Really narrativized that much, and particularly, it's mm-hmm. not a place where a lot of people imagine black people to live. Um, you know, it's like I had so yeah. many people be like, What? Like, it's not set in the south, it's not no. set in Chicago. I'm like, <laughs> I just like, No, black people are everywhere. Did you know that? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think. Part of that is just coming, you know, from my experience and, and wanting to see that experience represented of being, like, black in this beach town and, like, going to school with a lot of different racial groups. But, like, you know, going to, like, the white boys beach party or whatever, like, that, those were normal experiences when I was growing up. So I, I think part of it was coming from that place, but also just wanting to, you know, I think it's something that is, I think it's something that is humanizing to explore the mundane life of black people in which, racism is not the major conflict. Yes. Mm. Um, (laughs) Mm. You know, and it's, and, it's something that I think about a lot because, like I said, you know, I love Selma, I love, you know, I'm glad that these movies are made, I'm glad that people are writing these books Mm -hmm. about, you know, these historical events and, But it's, like, you know, to be, you know, it's, like, one of my friends said once, he's, like, yes, you know, it's not like being black means, like, you you walk down the street and, like, a flaming cross falls on you, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, you know, like, obviously, you know, we all know the ways in which race functions in our life and sometimes in these very direct ways. But also there are the ways in which, like, you walk into a room and you're just, like, oh, I'm the only black person here. And it's, like, a thought you have, but it's not necessarily a source of conflict. And it's not, like, a race war starts in that room because, you know, it's, like, it's just... You know, so I wanted to I wanted to write this book where race does shape the exper- experiences and perceptions of the characters, but in which racism was not their major struggle. Yeah, um, because I think that's you know I think that there's ways in which that's you know like our contemporary experience. It's a mm-hmm. complicated, um, you know, it's this complicated experience where we are inflected by race, but there you know there are ways in which racism is not our major like existential question that we're dealing with as humans. So
2: yeah. I mean, it it allows. Going back to what you said, it it does like humanize us in this way that we're not shaped by this, this only this one specific struggle that is a constant throughout every single moment (laughs) of our day.
4: Well, I think it also like that idea, it, it really like centers whiteness in a way that I also reject, like the idea that we are sort of passive actor, like we are passive people who are acted upon by whiteness and that's what gives meaning to our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I really reject that idea that, um, and I think that's like centering racism as the major source of conflict. It it really promotes that idea because you have to have these sort of actors that are acting upon you. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that, you know, it's like, that's not what drives my story as a person. Like the idea of these sort of external you know, white factors are impressing upon me or, or you know. So so I, I think that that's also reason why I kind of reject that narrative. But, but I also think that it really is like this generational shift within literature because I think about, you know, it's like my mom grew up in the Jim Crow South. Like the idea of being like, oh, yeah, like racism is not a major conflict. Like that would probably be something that was crazy to her. Mm-hmm. Like thinking about her upbringing because, you know, it's like she couldn't, you know, she could not go to the to the shoe store and try on shoes like they had to measure their feet with a string and bring the string to the shoe store to buy shoes. So but for my mother, buying shoes was a racialized, you know, experience mm-hmm. in the way that for me, I don't think about race when I go to buy shoes, you know. So I, I recognize that that that's inflected by, you know, the generation I'm in and, and the ways in which this country has changed the, um, the sort of. I don't know, I think the more complicated um, kind of nature of having to find our way among race in a way that for my mom growing up, it was, you know, a lot more blatant and a lot and a lot more structured. And, and as far as Jim Crow goes.
2: Yeah. But I mean, I would even say like, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I, But I also think back to like, I mean, my mom is kind of a similar situation. She grew up in Jim Crow South and it was like this really, really violent, just like. It was a bad place. right? But when I ask her about her childhood and to describe those things to me, the things that she describes are not that.
0: Right. You know, like I
2: hear, I heard a million stories about just hanging out on like our cousin's porch. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And picking peaches off the tree before we got to, there were more people in the KKK. Every other white person was in the KKK, you know, in that, that, you know, as far as like what narratives we reach for, you know, I think people would be, or white people would be surprised yeah, at how varied and diverse yeah. they are. Yeah, I think
4: that's true. I mean, also, like my my aunt was. Um, one of the first people to sort of integrate the school. Um, mm. And I was like asking her, like, what was that like? My, my, like the story my mom told me was like, yeah, you know, people showed up with chains. And, you know, and I was asking my aunt and she was like, oh, yeah, I had a great time in high school. You know, <laughs> like we went to dances. <laughs> like she also like that was something that surprised me. The the way that I, you know, thought of the narrative and also the way my mother who, you know, she didn't live that experience. And she the way she told me that story um, was so different than how my aunt actually experienced it.
3: I also think about like them sp- specifically being teenage girls and you starting the story, like starting to write the the book that eventually became The Mothers when you were a teenage girl. Like, do you feel like you were kind of like, like you kind of have like a golden ticket? Like in in a way, you know what I'm saying? Like that you gave yourself like 10 years ago. Uh, Do you kind of feel like because you started the book when you were like, when the book starts, the characters are 17. You started the book when you're 17. Like if I, I'm 28 now. If I had to think about what a 17 year old thinks about, my brain, I would be like, I'm Chanel, Luck. like, I don't yeah. know. Do you kind of feel like you were lucky in starting the book so young that you were able to keep their, vo- like, like retain their voices?
4: Yeah, actually, um, I had someone ask me recently, like, what were parts of the book that you could only write when you were 17? And what were the parts of the book that you could only write when you were 25 or mm. whatever? And and that's something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, I do think, like, being close to those characters and and just, like, the, you know, the... The passion of friendship when you're younger, it, it feels like something that is that was a lot more intense than now when I become friends with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now my friendships are a lot more measured, but I remember when I was young and it was like if my friend like didn't like talk to me that day at school it was devastating you know (laughs) and like the way now it's like I go like weeks you know without talking to some of my close friends and it's whatever so I think being close to experiences like that did really help the book but I also think there were some things that you know it's like going through heartbreak and like those were things that I had to go through in my own life that I think informed the writing of of what some of the characters go through but that I wouldn't have known when I was 17
3: another thing about the book that, like, I found really interesting. <laughs> Eric's face is like, oh, I was about to talk about Yeah, I know what you're talking um, about. <laughs> oh, God. So, like, both Nadia and Aubrey, in different ways, do a lot of emotional labor to protect Luke hmm. from pain and hurt and to kind of keep him happy and chill. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really seem like it's done out of servitude, but it seems that they each kind of know that they're stronger than he is. Yeah. And... So they carry a lot of their emotional weight, like a lot of emotional weight in their relationships with him. Like, was that intentional? Or is that just something that
4: I read? <laughs> I mean, I really like that reading of it. I never, <laughs> I never, <laughs> I never thought about it in that way. But, um, but I do think, you know, I think it's true. I think Luke is a character who he's protected by all the women because he's also protected by his mother in this way. And he's a character that Originally, he was a lot more of just, like, this asshole who um, just, you know, the girl gets pregnant and he just, like, ditches her and, like, doesn't look back. Um, but I think as time go- went by, I thought about how his reaction to this abortion might be more complicated. Um, and I think that's also a narrative that's not explored that much. Um, the experience of what a man might feel about about an abortion Um you know, the extent to which he feels like he should have some type of say and the extent to which he does, and you know I find that all so complicated um politically and morally to kind of think through so mm-hmm. so I wanted to explore the space where he had more ambivalent feelings about about the abortion and and that decision that that Nadia makes. so I think he sort of became um you know, I I basically started thinking of of Luke as sort of like a fuckboy with a heart of gold because <laughs> <laughs> that is really accurate, right? That's so, a right? Yeah. <laughs> So you know, there are ways in which he's like the type of guy who like kind of means to do the right thing, but doesn't really. Yeah. And then he makes you feel bad about it because he feels bad about oh it. God. I've dated like twenty five <laughs> Lukes. Like I was reading it,
3: and I was like, oh, this is what y'all were thinking about the
4: whole fucking time. <laughs> you know, so I, to me that was a more a complicated character than this guy who's just like an asshole so so, but he is this character that you know it does have these vulnerabilities that people want to protect and they want to look out for him but there's also a way in which he like refuses to accept any responsibility for anything and it's so frustrating <laughs> um, so yeah I had a lot of feelings of about Luke and and Trying to mold him into somebody that would be complicated, mm-hmm. and like you can see why people like him, but also he's so frustrating. And the way in which his relationship with both of these um, women, with Nadia and Aubrey, is so different. And you can see like sort of what he wants and what he needs from each of them, and what they both want and need from him. And 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 sort of making you know I think love you know love triangles are such like a you know a common device, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want the love triangle to to take over the book. And I really was not interested at all. I'm like, oh, which girl should he pick? Like, I was like, oh, I don't care about that question. So I didn't. I didn't want that to be at the center of it. But to me, like, thinking about that relationship between with with him and both of those women, and and the two of the friends together, and um, we're sort of cut up in this triangle, how that would how that would be more complicated as I um, worked on the novel a little bit further.
2: You said a couple things that kind of stuck out to me right there. Like, I mean, one talking about like his reaction to the abortion was something, like, I thought... Like, I I really, really enjoyed because you don't really see... You don't get to see men reacting to that type of event, you know. Hmm. Uh, Unless it's in, like, again, like you said, like, in this kind of, like, completely dismissive way. That's kind of the dominant narrative. So, like, I mean, even though, you know, I I wanted to be, like... Throughout the book, I was like, come on, man. Like, (laughs) you you gotta just get it together. But, uh, you know, but to see him at least wrestle with that in some way that showed that, like, that he had, you know, depth. Yeah. Was something that I I definitely, definitely, like, appreciated. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, like, that that type of thing is, is super important because the truth is, like, you know. Men are people, too. And (laughs) there are fuckboys with a heart of gold, you know what I'm saying, who are thinking about about these things. And it's important to, like, hear, you know, pieces of that, like, internal conflict.
4: Yeah. I mean, and I also think, like, you know, like, I think this book, it's a very sort of female-heavy narrative. But I think also, you know, it's like young black men are, like, some of the least humanized characters in fiction Mm. and, and any type of narrative. Um, so I think there's a way on the surface that it's like easy to dismiss Luke. It's like, oh, you know, this guy, oh, he wants to play football and whatever. I know this type of guy. Um, but I really wanted to push back against that and, and give him some depth and think about the ways in which, you know, from his perspective, how does he feel about the fact that, you know, he feels like this is my this was my child um, that was killed. You know, that's essentially sort of how he. Um, has this sort of reaction to it, although he's, like, not in any place to be anyone's father, to take... You know, it doesn't make uh, any yeah. logical sense of, of him sort of taking care of a baby, but his reaction um, being complicated and also how Nadia has to deal with that because, you know, that, that creates a lot of guilt for her also. Yeah. Um, you know, she makes the decision that she feels is ultimately the best for her, mm-hmm. um, but now she has to sort of deal with his reactions to it and, and like you were saying, um, protect him emotionally in some other ways.
3: Another thing that you explore in the book that, I mean, well, it relates directly to the title, <laughs> uh, is is motherlessness. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Nadia chooses not to become a mother at the beginning of the book. But I think even before we really know much more about that, we know that Nadia's mother has committed suicide. Right, And um, and she and her father are both kind of like in this state. It seems like they're in all like a suspended. Perpetual. Yeah. yeah. Perpetual right. state of, of grieving. And, you know, we learn about Aubrey that she was abandoned by her mother. Right. So it's interesting to have, like like Eric said, sort of the Greek chorus, like, commenting on things in ways that, like, their mothers aren't there for. Yeah. Like, how, like, why did you decide to explore motherlessness? And, like, like how did you even, how did you even characterize that? Because you seem like you're pretty close with both of your parents. From yeah. I, about you.
4: I mean, I think, well, I think, one, like, that, that was something that I was afraid of. And, like, to this day, I'm still afraid of the idea of, like, losing either of my parents. Yeah. Um so, I think that that was part of it. I think a lot of the those themes kind of were I didn't see the connections between them at the time i knew I knew from the beginning that Nadia's mother would be dead, and I knew that she would have an abortion. But the connection between those two things were things that arose a lot later and I think part of that is because originally like her mother had died when she was young mm. um but then I remember like I don't remember if it was a if it was a workshop feedback or if I' just kind of thought about it, but I was like, okay, what if I compress these events on time and make her mother's death closer to her abortion. Because it's like, yeah, those those sort of reverberate off each other, this idea of not having a mother and deciding not to be a mother. There are ways in which that, that seemed like that was interesting, um, potentially an interesting choice. Um, and I think with Aubrey, it was um, interesting to explore because I think, you know, in a way, they both are, are abandoned. Like, you know, Nadia's mother kills herself, um, which is a choice. Um, and Aubrey's mother chooses to abandon her. And I became interested in in the way that that would connect them. But also the fact that, you know, Aubrey lives with her sister and her sister's girlfriend. And so she sort of has these surrogate mothers that Mm -hmm. are in her life when Nadia really has none. Um, And even Aubrey, like, having a really close relationship with Luke's mom. And, you know, Nadia desperately sort of wants her approval, um, but can't get it. So, yeah, uh, some of those themes kind of just over time, I began to see the connections um, between what I don't think I really intended at first. Um, but thinking about uh, – I don't know. I think the complexity – I think black motherhood is um, is pathologized immensely, um, whether it's the idea of like, oh, there are too many single mothers. That's destroying the black community. Um, there are too many black women who have abortions. That's bad. Um, you know, bad black mothers, welfare queens, you know. Uh, the list goes on. The list goes on. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's always something that's been so bizarre to me because I'm like, black women have historically taken care of everybody's children. The idea that, like, black women are unfit mothers when, you know, black women literally nursed other people's children from our own bodies, like, is a crazy idea to me. But it's something that I I wanted to explore, the complexities of black motherhood. And, you know, there are bad, you know, there are bad mothers um, in the book, but I I wanted to, I don't know, I wanted to make that sort of a more multifaceted look at all these different women who choose to be mothers some of them and some of them who choose not to be and, and think about the complexity of that
0: well
2: damn <laughs> <laughs> alright I mean to kind of pivot away from the mothers a little bit you also write a lot of essays um and for, for basically for print mm-hmm. and online the the essay that we kind of probably talked about first was, I don't know what to do with good white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, I mean, to me, I reread that. I reread it again this morning. I, like, I was sitting here while Brittany was here, yeah. and I was just like, mm. <laughs> mm. like, hey, <laughs> I want to, like, post it up on the walls <laughs> and, like, yo, just, just take a look at this and just point it to it. <laughs> but how do you decide what is an essay and what should maybe be, like, fictionalized?
4: That's a good question. Um... I mean, I think I sort of like just kind of like fell into essay writing and I, I never thought of myself as an essayist or thought it was something I could really do. Um, and that essay just kind of um, emerged because that was something I was feeling at the time. I remember like the trigger really was this this white girl I went to school with who was like um, posting on Facebook, you know, like in the wake of these sort of non indictments, She was posting about how. Um, when they were black students, students who lived near her partying loudly, she doesn't call the police because she knows that that could endanger them. And I was just thinking to myself, like, yo, like we live in a college town, like people, students are partying endlessly, like that would be a ridiculous thing to do. But the fact that you were congratulating yourself, <laughs> like you, like you have shielded these black youths from, you know, <laughs> potential death, and you want us all to like your Facebook status and say, oh, you're a good person for doing that. So I remember I was texting another friend, another white friend, about this, and we were just, like, snarking about it. And, like, and then, you know, he was kind of like, well, you know, we should write something about it. So I ended up writing an essay about it and, and sent it to my friend Gia um, over at Jezebel, and they ran it. Um, but it was something that, like, I never thought of myself really as an essayist. And and I sort of drew from, you know, these stories that my parents had told me about growing up. Um, or my, you know, my dad was, like, stopped by LAPD and had a gun held to his head. Um, when they thought he was some criminal that they were looking for. Um, and my mom just growing up, like I said, in, in, in Jim Crow South in Louisiana, and thinking about her experiences and how my parents' experiences with white people are different than my experiences. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time in, in some very white spaces. Um, you know, I, I, in Oceanside, my school was fairly diverse, but, you know, I went to Stanford Um, and then I lived in Ann Arbor, which is 70% white, (laughs) Yeah, it's a 70% white town. Um, so I lived there for three years. Um, and you know, it's like overall my experiences were pretty pleasant. Like, you know, there were no flaming crosses (laughs) dropping on my head, walking to the streets of Ann Arbor. Um, but that being said, I was always, um, just, just sort of interested in the idea of intentions and how much do intentions matter? You know, because I think a lot of times it's like, do I think that these police officers are like, you know, okay, let's go shoot some black people today. Are there some like that? You know, sure, maybe. But do I think majority police officers go out to do that? No, like, I don't think the majority of police officers intend, you know, to be racist. Um, but I think we think so much about racism as this thing that, like, you can only do if you try to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Like, if you're not trying to be racist, then it's not. And I think that we think of racist as this, like, character trait. It's like a racist is like who you are and that means you're a bad person. So if I'm a good person, I can't be racist. I can't do racist things. That kind of emerged from me sort of grappling with that and and thinking of ways to integrate um, these two stories that my parents have kind of told me about growing up in these very different places and different cultures um, and thinking about the ways in which how they learn to think about race and learn to think about whiteness is very different than the way I've had to learn how to sort of navigate the. The um yeah the strange sort of nuances of it in this kind of you know, twenty first century sort of age.
2: I'm a, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start a <laughs> newsletter where every week you just receive it an and only in case white
3: people you can sign up. Yeah, in case
4: you forgot, this is still
3: a thing. Yeah.
4: Well, it's funny. It, like it's like the good like we call it, like the good white people trap because it's one of these things where like it's like. It's like if when white people are like appreciated too much, it's like, whoa, there. You might be being a good white person right now. Like, um, so yeah, it's been. It's you know, I I still get like some trolling about that um, essay, which is fine to me because I'm like that came out like almost two years ago. Yeah, Uh, I saw some people kind of trolling me about it, but. Um, but the reaction, I think, overall was yeah, it was very overwhelming. But also, I think it started some like int- like people told me like we were talking about it in my office, or mm. you know, it started some conversations. I think about sort of the complexity of intentions and um, when it comes to racism and, and policing. That's like a hell of an essay to start <laughs> off. <with>. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like come straight out the gate, like I'm Britt Bennett. <laughs> this is how I feel. Um, another essay of yours that I love is the one that you did in the Paris Review about Addie, the American Girl doll. Yeah. For those of you who are too young, I don't know if you could be too young, I have no clue. Uh, for those of you who don't know what an American Girl doll is, there are these overpriced, um, beautifully made <laughs> dolls from this company based in Chicago. I could have made that up. And, um, and like, they had, like, the, you could get a doll to look like you, but they also had these dolls that were a part, like, the whole point is it was like a way to teach young girls about history. Mm-hmm. And so there were all of these different Dolls and the well, now I think there's another black doll, or maybe there's been two since. But there the, it was. A, it came first,
2: out a lot later. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
3: The first black doll was Addie, who was a freed slave. He's like and that, and like I had. <laughs> Sorry, I know, and it's like it's. I know, I know. Um, and it's funny too because my younger sister and I are close in age. And like so, there was only one black doll. So it was like, all right. Well, each of us got to pick a doll. My younger sister was like, "Well, I want Addie," and I was like, "Well, they have. like." <laughs> <laughs> who am I supposed to pick now? They didn't have Josefina yet. I did eventually get Josefina, okay, yeah, who was yeah. like the the young. I think, yeah, the young Latina girl who mm-hmm. I think was in like the Southwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I eventually got Josefina. Um, by the time they added a different black girl, I had aged out. But yeah, I had to pick Molly. I was like, I guess I'll pick the girl with the glasses. Like, <laughs> like she, yeah. I mean, I like she looked like she had the best like food accessories or whatever. So like, I'll pick her. But um. Why did, like, I, like, that to me was, like, it was so, I mean, I hate to even say this, but, like, it was kind of jarring for me to see something that I was so intimately acquainted with <laughs> as a kid, like, fully real. This is, like, before, this is before I, I really knew you yeah. as a person, like, as a figure and, like, before the book came out. Like, I remember reading this essay and being, like, they let this black girl write about <laughs> that in the Paris review. I'm, like, look at that. That is crazy. What made you decide to write about that?
4: No, that's funny. I mean, I, th- I think I've been thinking about that one for a while. I remember when I um, when I was studying abroad, I had gotten to this conversation about American Girl dolls with with a bunch of other girls in the house and, and most of them who were white. And we were all talking about like, what doll we liked or whatever. And and one of the white girls I remember said, has she had always wanted an Addy doll, but she felt like guilty about owning the doll because the doll was a slave. And I was like, Okay, this is something I never thought about. <laughs> like, Damn. you're like, yeah. white guilt as a child about like owning the slave doll. Like, I was like, okay, that's like interesting because I never thought about like, you know, white kids interacting with Addie. Like, I was like, yeah. you, I was just like, yeah, she's the black doll. I want the black doll. Yeah. Then I started thinking more about those books, and I, I just that there was like this scene from the first book where Addie, like, you know, is daydreaming and she misses the worm on the tobacco, so the overseer makes her eat it. And that was something that, like, I have never forgotten, like, things that I remember viscerally from childhood, Mm. like, things that happened to me, I don't remember as well as I remember (laughs) that from that. And I remember there was, like, a drawing on the other page of the work. Like, I remember that experience of reading that book. And, like, I was thinking about, like, man, like, obviously, like, it's important to know about slavery, but, like, damn, like, I was young. I was young enough to, like believe that santa brought me this doll but i was old enough <laughs> to, to, to read you know i was like old enough somehow to handle the story about this escaped slave girl my age yeah and i'm just like you know and and then i was like I, when i started digging in it and people were bringing up some points about like well, would we have you know like you know there's like a jewish american girl doll now but like You know, it's like, would we have, like, oh, she escaped from Auschwitz? Like, would that be a doll that exists that we expect children to read that story and sort of be okay with? Like, other types of atrocities? Would we, you know, but I'm like, but damn, like, black children are expected to handle this. And, like, we do, you know, for Mm -hmm. the large part. And and thinking about the ways in which I came to to think about slavery and I came to learn about slavery and, and... just, you know, something I felt conflicted about because I do think it's it's a beautiful doll. And, and in the history of black dolls, you know, it's like my mom did not own any black dolls because yeah. they did not have them. Like she made her own dolls, mm-hmm. you know, like to me, I'm like, you know, I'm so privileged to be able to have this overpriced. Yeah. You know, like you're saying the super, you know, with the, you know buying the like plastic food and the like I was my parents were like (laughs) fuck your plastic food I I remember I remember we really wanted like there was like a violin you could buy my parents were like that doll cannot play the violin (laughs) like no (laughs) but you know like thinking about like this really expensive like that was such like it was like a privilege to be able to have this doll and the story you know the story was compelling it was well written I remember Mm -hmm. like You know, her family, they get separated. Her brother goes to fight in the Civil War. loses his arm. Looses his arm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was like, damn. I was like, damn. Yeah. I remember he showed back. It was like the Christmas book. Yeah, He shows up in the church, like, with one arm missing. But she's, like, so happy to see him. Yeah. And and she reads the... Emancipation. Right.
2: <laughs> it feels like like slave <laughs> empire. Like all shit going on.
4: Yeah. Like her da- yeah, her a dad lot. and like, you know, like I remember like the Ooh. family gets separated. And they're, like the baby. They're like, do we have to leave the baby behind? Oh God, She's gonna yeah. cry. And I, I think it was cu- it was coming from that place of having you know such nostalgia for this doll and and loving it so much as a child and and the stories are moving me, but just. Thinking about the way in which you know black children are denied this sort of innocence, you know, like all like the stories of all the white dolls are just like yeah, like, you know, yeah. I mean they have struggles. It's not like they don't have conflicts, but, she but went through it. yeah, she <laughs> she did she, she went, through. went through it. So thinking about the way in which black children are expected to deal with that those types of narratives from a young age, and but also thinking about the fact that like there is a responsibility of black adults to some extent to tell these stories to black children. And, and, you know, the idea of, like, my parents had to tell me about slavery and had to, you know, they had to do that work of telling me because if it would have been up to, like, my education, like, God knows what, you know, God knows what I would have learned. So there is a way in which I feel like I've been you know I think about as myself as a writer like thinking about the woman who um who wrote those Addy books and her job to sort of translate this traumatic black experience mm. for children um and thinking about that as being something that black adults do all the time and yeah
2: and it also sucks just cuz it's like it's the only doll. It'd be different if, yeah. again, I mean, this yeah. goes back to basically what you're saying. It's like, you know, it'd be different if we had a whole bunch of, if it was, yeah. you know.
3: Mm-mm. Like, like <laughs> no. But, but no, it's, yeah. the, like, it's, the, only, it's this is the only doll. And and they the, have Felicity. She's yeah. there for the, uh, the first yeah. one. The, what is it called? The, the Revolutionary. Yeah, one. she's like, yeah. yeah. Um, whatever they call it. Yeah, for, they had her there for that. She yeah. had the cutest outfits. I remember so many white girls in my elementary school. Whose parents clearly didn't give a fuck about budgets. They <laughs> they had the actual like real doll clothes. Yeah.
4: Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I
3: remember like a couple of them wore them to like in like a school play, and I remember being like, "Damn, like this is what you get." Yeah. <laughs> so, like, Addie had this pink striped dress, uh-huh. which was nice, but right. it's not like, right. do I want the slave girls dress? Right. Like, Is that and, the like, thing
4: that I want? Right. And also, again, writing the piece, I also remembered like I like did this play when I was a kid where mm-hmm. I was Addie. It was like for the public library. And I did this play where, like, I had that pink striped dress, Mm -hmm. and I had, you know, and and it was like one of the. Perhaps not surprisingly, it took place in the later book, so it was not the book where she escapes from slavery (laughs) that we were acting out in the library. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Samantha, like, she was, like, in the Victorian era, like, they, you oh, know... Oh, yeah, she had She was, like, rich and... Be- yeah,
3: she was. She, she, like, she servants. Was- and- yeah, she had, like, that rich grandmother and she had yeah. all these beautiful Beautiful outfit. dresses, uh-huh. And, like, I don't know, like, Molly grew up, like, during World War II. I think her father was, like, a doctor or a nurse yeah. or something like that, like, for the <laughs> army. And, like... I mean, yeah, they were struggling because it was, like, wartime. Yeah, like she had a fridge. Like, yeah, she had yeah, like, the poodle skirt. <laughs> yeah. She like
4: she was having a good time. Yeah, she, like, had, she <laughs> had
3: rain slicker and yeah. sort of stuff. Like, she, had, like you, uh, she was at least contemporary enough that I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. You know, now it's come out with some new black dolls since then. But, you know, I was reading, like, some black parents online being like, like, why should a black child experience during playtime yeah. like yeah. these horrors that they're not going to be able to really escape, like, in adulthood? You know, this <laughs> idea of, like you know, my dad was always just like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna tell them about Santa, like, you know, I don't wanna lie to them, whatever. But my mom was always just like, Oh, but you know, I wanna preserve their innocence. Like I like the fact they believe. Like mm-hmm. she always had that feeling, but like this a fact that like to some extent you can't preserve your black child's innocence and and um yeah, so that, that it kind of emerged from some of those thoughts about it and I was able to do some reading more about about the history of black dolls and the history of race in dolls, which is very complicated and very weird and you know, the idea of, of dolls being sort of representative of humans. And yeah. I remember reading about, like, you know, how um, they were, you know, people were reporting that, like, you know, white children were, like, encouraged to play violently with black dolls. Um, huh. And, the you know, the idea of, like, the, the psychology behind, you know, this ad for, like, a black doll that was like, <sighs> yeah, you can throw it around and you can thrash it. And so they said that white children would actually do, like, lynch black dolls and, and maim them, Um you know the <laughs> idea of like what is enacted during play being you know reflective of what people, what children are seeing in the larger world from, mm. well, the perspective of white children or for black children.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, the How
4: cheering you up. How you doing there, father of <laughs> right, father of
2: daughter. right? <laughs> well, I mean, it sucks because we have. I mean, at home we have that same that same battle. You know, of like oh, it was not really a battle, but we both know like. At some point, we're going to start having to have conversations with her that like introduce really, really tough subjects, yes. and a certain part of me wants to be like, "Well, we got to give it to her early, so she know <laughs> out the gate, you know, what yeah. I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, like what's going on." Yeah, but a part like Eve is like a ridiculously happy kid, yeah. you know, and I don't want to see the face she makes yeah. after she realizes, like, wait what? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, what are you talking, like, I don't, I don't want to see that. So, like, yeah, it's, it's, like, I can't even imagine, like, I already had to, like, honestly, I sent, uh, when folks started like actively asking me like what toys to buy her, mm-hmm. I was like, "Don't you buy no white dolls for my kid?" <laughs> you know, like uh, like straight up, cause yeah. you know, I don't want her to start. Yeah, I want her to start from a point of thinking like I can play and I can use these toys as avatars for someone like right. myself. Right, you know what I'm saying? I don't want her right. to build those like those those narratives around people who she can't feel a part of. Right.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I don't know.
2: I mean, I've I've been to. So I went to Mall of America, and oh yeah. I've been to the American, American girls Girl Girl store. Yeah. See, I still
4: ha-
3: I still haven't been. I wanted to go it's, for twenty damn
4: years. Yeah, so. I finally went to at the Mall of America, and
2: and I mean, it's deep. I mean, they are like. I feel she probably won't get the Addy doll if for no other reason than it's really overpriced. <laughs> yeah. and well, I the other she? the
3: other black doll is like,
4: so rights. <laughs> it's nineteen sixty three. Yeah. <You know? laughs>
3: But she is cute. She's yeah. cute. Little she, like, uh, she like
4: wants to be like a singer. Yeah, right? her like that's kind of cute. Like it yeah, is cute, cute, but it's
3: like I mean, it's all stressful.
4: Yeah, <laughs> well, there <laughs> was like yeah for a while there was like this doll that was like it was like antebellum like New Orleans black doll. I remember and, like, that. Yeah, and yeah. like her white best friend, they were like a pair. Yeah, um,
3: I think which... they were inspired by like the Princess and the Frog or something like that. <laughs> yeah. People
4: were like. Let's talk about Creole people. Yeah. Like,
3: let's explore that. Kind of yeah. Like,
4: okay. Yeah. But I think that doll got discontinued. Yeah. I don't think she exists anymore. So, thinking about, like, man, if I had to, like, write an American Girl doll story, which, like, low key would actually be really fun. I like, actually I, nominate I, you. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to approach you. me about this. But I'm, like, thinking, like, where would I set it? Like, what would the story be? It is something, like, when you think about, you know, when you think about history and blackness and looking to the past, it does get very fraught. Of yeah. like, basically, anywhere you go, you have to deal with some yeah. type of. There's not a lot of like past that could just be this fun, like, or maybe there is. Maybe I you know, maybe someone can approach me to write American Girl doll story. I can think about this and try to find. <laughs> I was thinking like 90s, and they're going to be like <laughs> 1992.
3: Yeah, <laughs> like, you're from you're from Southern California,
4: yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly,
3: yeah,
4: yeah, you got this. No, I'd have to. I have to think about it, but. But I don't know, it'll be interesting to see where people go and hopefully hopefully for Eve that can be be great news. Yeah, we're gonna try <laughs> America Girl Doll try for her. Keep her in mind. <laughs>
2: like, man. Shit is tough. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming and sitting down with us. Yeah. Like, thank you guys for big, having
3: me. It's awesome. Was fun. You are so great.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so like what's coming up for you? I mean, obviously you're gonna be promoting. But like tell us what what, what your future is. Oprah. Looks like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe.
2: Someone's I mean I,
4: mean, I would Something hope I, that would be like a dream. But how, um, you? how is your girl? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess thing uh, coming up. I'm reading here. I'm reading in Brooklyn um, at Greenlight Books um, on October 18th at seven, I believe. Um, but yeah, I come back here to read from the mothers, so that's gonna be exciting. And going on a little book tour. So um, yeah, you can check my website for the dates where I'm reading. Um, some California dates. And what's your um, website? BrittBennett.com. So yeah, check my website. But um, yeah, it's been great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. This was great. Thank
2: you so much for coming.
4: Thank you, Thank you so. Yeah, this was like. <laughs> this was dope. Thank you so much. And
2: Thanks. check out the mothers. We didn't. We didn't actually spoil
3: much. No, we actually <laughs> like, no. That's the crazy thing. I'm like y'all. Y'all, it's a lot. We didn't even. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like and like, I want to have like another conversation like after the expectation that everybody has read it. Yeah. Where we can be like, so, so let's talk about pay. this
4: page. <laughs>
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> but if you want to support the show, you can give to us on Patreon.
3: Patreon.
2: Patreon.com slash for colored nerds. We really appreciate any help that you can provide We're trying yes. to make the show a lot better
3: and right. grow it. And if you cannot support us on Patreon, which, by the way, only a minimum of $12 per year. <laughs> So, if you can't make that work, which I totally understand, been there, done that, got the t shirt every damn year from like 2007 to uh, 2015, Um, (laughs) you can give us a five star rating on iTunes because why wouldn't you? Exactly, exactly.
2: And shoot us an email. Yeah. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think of the mothers. Yeah. And... Yeah.
3: If y'all ever, yeah, like, y'all literally pick this book up. You will literally finish it. I don't care how busy you are, you will finish <laughs> this book. This, you don't understand. Like, Eric and I each had a copy. We read ours like that. I gave mine to my boyfriend. Eric has, like, lent his to what, four people in the office already? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, everybody's come back, so I'm gonna get it. Live. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like
3: literally, people's like, like all right, like literally, like you don't understand. Like this, I mean, well, you will understand. So I'm <laughs> letting you know, but you, you will <laughs> understand. So. People love this book. This book is popping. Thank you guys.
2: Uh, but we'll be back soon. Bye. bye. Oh, yeah. It's when the second we do time we take did care, that. Like bye. It's all right,
3: it's so, over. I mean, just we're done.